Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name is Eric, with me is my co-host Ray. Hello. We've got Robert here, back from ACO. Jersey sucks. And then from our distant listeners who've been with us in the very beginning, we've brought back Don Hoosen for this episode. I agree, Jersey sucks. Having uh, lived right outside Jersey, I cannot uh, say anything nice about it either. But anyway... Uh, lots of news from good old GW, a couple pieces of nuggets of news from unofficial sources. We've got more pictures of dwarves in space, but the most important thing, we finally have an official date when we say, Auf Wiedersehen, du Nachbund. But uh, first, uh, Robert, tell us a little about why Jersey sucks and uh, what was your trip like? Well, coming from the fact that I've existed inside of a 120 degree oven called Arizona, where it's 0% humidity 95% of the time. Yeah, the weather in Jersey sucked. <laughs> that's the old, That's the main thing I didn't like. But Jersey itself wasn't bad. The Atlantic City Open was a fun event. I went 3-3. Three and three. Our friend Mark Whitaker went 4-2, and two, a.k.a. World Leaders Are Broken, have a 62.5% half percent win rate they need to be nerfed so it says everyone on the internet <laughs> well, clearly that's true then <laughs> and then um another teammate of smite club um daniel olivas um went five and one and i think he ended up finishing in like ninth place yeah, he just missed the cut <laughs> um my i went three and three so i was proud of going three and three because yay being average but i had a i had a wonderful time there though the jet lag did not affect me as much as i thought it would have and i hit i did not end up playing the same army twice the entire event wow that is pretty spectacular wow overall venue was pretty good and uh missions and whatnot yeah the missions they ended up just going straight through the missions so from 11 all the way up to 23 and the, the venue did weird me out a little bit because we were on the second floor of the event hall instead of the first floor because there was a, some other kind of collector car convention going on downstairs. So we got shoved upstairs. Um, but there was a crap ton of space between all the tables. Like I could not reach over and poke Don in the butt if he was right behind me. You just didn't try hard enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. I would need to use both um, measurement gauges, but... <laughs> So I need a whippy stick from uh, Horse Heresy. <laughs> but um, yeah, otherwise, the, the event was a lot of fun. It is definitely a trip that I will consider doing again if I do not go by myself. Because <laughs> that's a really long trip and just a really hard trip to make for anyone and it would suck to do it by yeah. yourself. So I mean, it's more the reason why you need teams is you know, some of these longer distance travel t- tournaments. It's yeah, going by yourself stinks. It's, so it's good to have some friends along the way and help fray with uh, travel costs. And it's also just figuring your way around. Uh, traveling with an army is oh, very tricky, especially when it involves airfare. <laughs> yep, which actually made me really happy that I didn't take my Constantine figure and I took my actual Trajan because. I am two for two for almost destroying an entire army when I'm leaving an event. Um, 
I was picking up my personal bag full of luggage and the corner caught the top of my army case and it did two entire flips on the way down to the floor. And believe it or not, knocking on every piece of wood that I can find, none of my custode bikes broke. Holy cow. The things are more durable than I thought they were. (laughs) Yeah, I expected to have to repair one Lance by now. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. Well, glad to hear it. Great event. Uh, was, yeah, a lot of events over the past couple of weekends. Uh, interesting BAO. I was hearing some of the feedback about that. And, um, you know, we ran our last event, our, our Scorched Earth Earth, as part of a convention. And BAO now was in part of a convention that part of Kublicon, I believe it is. Yeah. And it was interesting hearing people say they've kind of gotten used to the idea that large tournaments are held in casinos. So when you're at it, it was just weird to be at a different style venue and it just didn't feel as engaging or as have as many opportunities to do things after the event. So maybe we're seeing a shift in tournament planning at this point. Well, I remember the first time where I thought about going to BAO back in 2020 um, before everything got kind of blown up. It was still in Kublicon, so it was still inside of a convention. So when everything got canceled, I needed to do two refunds or exchanges or whatever to do stuff. Cause I think I had to buy a convention pass and then an event ticket or something like that. It's been, yeah, that's pretty standard. It's been yeah. a while. Yeah. Okay. Have any of you guys been to, to BAO before it moved to uh, its current location back when it was at the, the farm? No. Uh, so not at the farm, but at uh, their, the gigantic game store that they were at. Oh yeah, um, Game Castle. They were there in yeah Game Castle. They were there in 2017, 2018, I think 2016. But yeah, it's, it was pretty nice in there. The couple times that I went, a lot of times they packed people in too tight, so it was like butt to butt. But um, yeah, the most recent one I went to in 2019. They moved to a hotel, so there's a lot more room. The tables are still right up next to each other, but you didn't just, you know, butt rub your person behind you. Yep. No no butt play from you, Don. Thanks. <laughs> I do what I can. Yeah, it's just interesting to see how... It's, uh, just it changes how new events have really kind of uh, changed the landscape. Back in 5th edition, we used to joke about the... Uh, you know, the Grand Slam, there are the four events, BAO being one of them, uh, Nova, Adepticon, and interesting, the fourth one was, at the time, it was Bowls gone. It's now uh, War Games gone. And that kind of came and went under the radar. I don't think anybody even picked up on that. It was I don't even think it was the biggest event of the weekend when they went off. So it's, it's interesting how LVO and some of the newer um, tournaments are now surpassing some of the, the, the giants have passed. So... Interesting the, the logistics now, how tournaments are being run, especially for larger ones, uh, what it takes to attract people to a tournament. So, pretty cool. Yep, it is definitely a thing of the environment also helps because wandering through the casino, it was there was a lot of restaurants inside the Harrah's that the event was held at. And that is definitely something that made it easily accessible that you could just after the event essentially walk past your hotel rooms 
if you got lucky and ended up in one of those towers and then go right to a restaurant. Sometimes if you were unlucky, you had to walk across the entire casino to get there, but still you were really close to all the restaurants. Well, the restaurants actually open because that was the problem with last year's LVO so short after COVID that they didn't have any staff. Oh yeah. The most, if not all the restaurants at the Harrah's for ACO were open this year. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Hopefully that keeps it going at this point because that was always the was kind of the criticism was nothing was open and you, you end up you have all these closed restaurants you just keep walking searching for food. So, mm-hmm. All right, so speaking of LVO well, right after LVO we knew that Games Workshop would be moving to this new season format and at that point they introduced the new Nachmund uh, season pack and they said, we'll be updating this every six months. And one of the questions we had was, is that six months from LVO or just a six-month cycle? Well, we found out very quickly since our last broadcast that uh, it is a st- strictly calendar. So July 1st, we are, say, Auf Wiedersehen to Nachmund and hello to Nephilim. And uh, it'll be up for pre-order this week. And the previews are out. So... Um, what revelations have you guys seen from Nephilim that will make you think this is going to be something completely different? Well, I know for me, um, interacting with Battlescribe, because Battlescribe has changed, so it has the the way Nephilim works with the GW preview, where you start with less command points. They have that in their system already. And I have to say, seeing armies start with two or three command points is a little refreshing because you can't do everything on your first turn. It's like me. Well, you're Mr. Fart Cart Man, so you don't get a lot of CP anyway. I built it that way. Yeah. Interesting, Don. You, you're also the guy who brings the the oddball um, detachments that usually cost you the full three command points because you don't get the Warlord benefit. Is that something out of you know extinct at this point moving forward? Uh, so the list has changed as far as like attachments go. Like instead of bringing a spearhead and a vanguard or something along those lines, you just bring like a spearhead and a patrol and just add a troop, and then you're basically back to where you normally were. So and like starting at zero CP to start off the game is not the end of the world by any means. Um, yeah, you're not going to have you know a big old dump of CP right off the start. Like a whole lot of these lists that start with like 12, 14 CP of like the the silent king or whatnot but um over the course of the game you will just always have cpdus like it's not gonna be a, a dump and a trickle of one it's gonna be just constant cp usage you'll actually probably find that the latter turns are more deadly now than they used to be because people are going to be able to still do their cool activation stuff one of the things I've seen kind of prognosticated on the internet is the return of special characters because a lot of people have relied on spending the CP to upgrade their characters to some sort of uber character. Now there's enough CP to go around. True or false? Um, so remember that you do still have to pay for the special characters while a trade if you bring them for that. But they come with a relic that's not actually a relic. So, like, if you're, like, I want, you know, Karn with his uh, gore father or, what, or gore child. Um, he just comes with it. You don't have to pay for it. 
you cannot elect not to pay for it and him not have a weapon. It's not built that way. But as far as the warlord traits go, if your warlord is, you know, a character, then for one CP, you can give your warlord his warlord trait. And if he has multiple warlord traits like Mortarian um, or any of those other characters that do that, then they, the one CP you spend for the warlord trait gives them all their warlord traits. So you don't have to spend one per. Yeah, that was my worry when I was thinking about Trajan, because sure, he gives a command point when he's part of your army, but then you essentially have to spend two to give him both his warlord traits. So the fact that I only have to spend one and he gives me one essentially makes him still essentially free. Definitely. And then there's also a whole lot of armies that will just straight up move to not picking a warlord trait or not picking a relic like uh, Necrons. Their world trace and relics are kind of eh. Um, but yeah, it'll just be a different way of building lists. That's all that you're going to have to think about as far as less CP. It's just a different list build. Yeah, I think for Necrons, I think the one relic, the two relics that might be worth taking are the Orb of Eternity and the Veil of Darkness. But that's really about it. <laughs> yeah, and just keep in mind, you don't have to start the game with 6 CP. You will get one in your turn. You'll get one in your opponent's turn. Unless it's mission 11. Because missions have not changed. As far as their base mission. So that's the one where if you're not in No Man's Land. uh, Holding one of those objectives in No Man's Land or your opponents. Then you don't get your command. Or sorry. uh, Battleforge CP. Yeah we were playing. uh, Was it mission 31? If you all the back objective, the one in your opponent's deployment zone, your opponent doesn't get CP. We did that. that was kind of a fun little one there. And of course, there's always the ones if your warlord's not on the table, then I uh, no CP. So that's another another thing to kind of factor in. So, so is it something where you mentioned they're kind of trickling, looking more constant uses, or does it make sense to just start banking your CP for a the big turn three instead of the big turn one. You're probably going to see people more so using stratagems throughout that are good stratagems than have a turn of here's six stratagem combo. Okay. It, so you're going to see like, you know, Veterans of Long War. Um, you'll see uh, Shoot Twice. You'll see, you know, Auto Pass Morale. You'll see those frequently. But yeah, you're not going to see the well, I'm going to spend this for this stratagem, this for this stratagem, this for this stratagem, this for this stratagem, and I'm going to do it again. Right. Like, that that will not exist. Outside of very, very rare cases. Makes sense. Other big change, and uh, one of the probably the biggest things, not only is it a, a, a balancing act for the game, but also fantastic for the value of buying this book, is that every secondary has been rebalanced, and available in this one publication and when i say every we're talking about not just the main ones but also every codex and every codex has yet to be released you all get new secondaries so big winners and losers from seeing some of those new secondaries yep and another thing that's important to realize is that you're no longer restricted to one faction secondary you can take all your faction secondaries now which is very handy because there's a couple. I guess the key thing is try to eliminate the making the wrong choice or just kind of taking the same five over and over and over again. So, 
Mm-hmm. It does feel also like they got rid of the no-brainers and they got rid of the never-takens. Which, like, the no-brainers were like, stranglehold to last. The no-brainers were like, uh, deploy teleport homers and uh, the psychic one on the enemy's backboard edge. Like, those are gone. Yeah, it's pretty... Yeah. Go ahead, Robert. Oh, no, I was, I was just agreeing that it's it is very much a huge thing that some of these object, some of these secondaries just go away. Um, like for instance, stranglehold supposedly going away. So it says is. one of the Goonhammer articles. Um, that makes it so that way you don't have people that just go, oh, by the way, I go and touch three objectives, and I'm automatically ahead of you by mathematically nine points because you can't fight me off of these objectives. That makes it so that way factions like again going to custodes where we have a pseudo stranglehold um in auric mortalis oh no stand vigil yes stand vigil um where we have to hold more objectives in no man's land than you it doesn't matter how many we hold we just have to hold more of the not in our deployment zone ones and we get three points it makes things like those actually more viable yeah, it's kind of like eliminate the win more objectives, which are always a nuisance. You know, you're you're already trying to get primaries. Now you get extra secondary points for doing the primary. It's like, uh, okay, that was kind of kind of a feel bad. It's okay if I'm winning, I'm going to get bonus points for winning. It was almost very difficult to get come back from none of those, especially in the later part of the game. So. Um, nice to see that. To the last is probably one of those a lot of armies built, you know, a unit designed or three units speci- specifically for to the last. So mm-hmm. freeing up those points, I mean, right off the bat, what does a Dark Angel player do at this point? Uh, so Dark Angels, um, they also caught another nerf on top of that, which is Stubborn Defiance. Um, now you start getting on turn one. And for each one that you hold that objective, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, or yeah, five, for however many turns that you held that objective. It has to be with the same unit, and it cannot be an objective that is in your deployment zone. So it is not anywhere near as easy to get 15 on. Because it's basically a Phobos unit that has to do it unless it's mission 33, where you can drag an objective to be outside your deployment zone, but tow into your deployment zone so you can stand on it at the start of the game. Because at that point, it just matters if the objective marker starts in no man's land or starts in your deployment zone. Uh, so no, you, you literally cannot pick an objective marker that is in your deployment zone. Um, so you can still have the control area be in your deployment zone, but you, you, the objective marker itself cannot be in your deployment zone. Oh, specifically for Stubborn Defiance? Yes. Okay. So it's much more likely to be a 10-point thing because 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4... Ten. the The fifth turn usually means like you have to have some like a Phobos captain or something like that that has rights of war, make him an opsec to get those points, and then you have to have them live the entire game. Yeah, so it would be okay. Here's my: if you bring a ten man um, Deathwing Night Squad that you put minus one damage on and all this other stuff. Okay, you don't interact with it for a whole bunch of turns and they stand on the same objective going, yeah, you march here, you die. That's the kind of point where it would be, okay, you're getting 15 on that one because I literally cannot kill that unit without like 
dedicating my entire army to it. <laughs> Previously, yes. Now that can't happen. But he'll get 10 max with a Deathwing Knight unit, except for that one mission. Again, yeah, it's the it's the fall of here's a free 15 points of X secondary. You actually have to interact with the game now. That is true for most armies. Salamanders, if we ever get around to talking about them, have a like 50 point secondary. It's the Salamander secondary stupid. <laughs> 50? What? You got my attention. <laughs> yeah, so Salamanders also pick an objective in No Man's Land. Or, you know, not in the deployment zone. And then any command phase that they have a Salamander's core infantry, not even just be Salamander's infantry, on that objective, they get two command points. Or uh, two victory points. Every time that a Salamander's infantry unit that is holding that objective is attacked but not destroyed, they get one uh, victory point to a maximum of three per player turn. So per battle round, that's worth up to six. Especially if you get tangled up in combat. Then, every time that they kill a unit, uh, kill one or more units that player turn, they get one victory point or two if they killed any models with it with a flamer weapon or melt a weapon, as long as they were on that objective each player turn. So it's like just a massive amount of points that they can just shove into that. And just like, I'm taking the middle objective. Hmm. Have fun. Wow. Here's 15 points for sure. That's quite a number. Because <laughs> yeah, what is that? Uh, so it's 10 for just standing on it. Um, and that's another 30 for being attacked and not killed. And another, let's see, another 10, sorry, another 20 for um, killing things while being on it. So, so you get 60 points off that secondary. So I mean, it's really hard to get 60. I mean, yeah. you can also cap at 15, but it's like a guaranteed 15. Like, <laughs> there's, it's so stupid. So the way you get around that is, aka, you play Eldar, you psychic most of them until they're all dead, and if whoever's not dead, you actually shoot them. <laughs> yep, and then you settle that they don't make their save. And even then, if they're standing on that objective when <laughs> in their turn, they're going to get 10 points just for standing there. You can ignore them and they'll get 10 points. So Salamander's meta, anyone? Salamanders have a whole lot of other stuff going for them, too. But, yeah, the Salamanders secondary is stupid. So one thing that was met with huge applause is uh, one thing that's not going to be in this book are the new point changes. Doesn't mean there's no point changes coming. They'll be available for free on the community page. But interesting, uh, no hints so far. So there are quite a few unofficial releases at this point. Uh, but uh, the general consensus is if you've been doing well over the last three months with your particular faction, expect at least a 15 point, uh, 15% raise in your point levels. So Tyranids, Eldar, um, not too sure about Custodes at this point, but uh, um, Tau, Tau probably. Yeah, thank you. I was trying to think of who's the other one that was the big issue going on at this point. So be curious to see what when those points come out, because those things have been pretty locked up pretty good. There haven't been a whole lot of rumors, at least rumors that look substantial. Yeah. And the advantage of that is obviously they're free and they're digital. So with the fact that everyone has a little pocket computer, 
they can look them up at any point in time if they're ever worried about something being wrong. And crossing my fingers, because they also said that they would be available on the GW app, hopefully they're right. So I might be doom and gloom, but GW has been terrible with their ability to produce tech that can handle any bit of bandwidth. So when they go, all right, it's live. My first inkling about it is that it's just going to just die immediately and not let anyone look at it. And then it's going to stay that way for at least the whole day. (laughs) As they try to figure out how to make it not a problem. Yeah. People are just going to keep pinging that thing over and over all day. It'll just be about timing it right. Yeah, I fully... I fully prepared myself going, all right, Nephilim dropped. I'm not playing a game for like three days, and I'm waiting for Battlescribe to update. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be curious to see what changes do come through. Uh, said lots of rumors at this point. Nothing that seems to be, some of those rumors are actually contradictory, so it's just a matter of just, just wait it out and see what happens at this point. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. But even with point changes coming out, um, the other... Because Deflim went up on pre-order just this last Saturday. This Saturday, we finally get the March of the Chaos Space Marines coming to town as a pre-order. As yeah, well. A little late, but the year of chaos is finally upon us, so this would be the Chaos Space Marine release that we're looking at here, and the Warhammer community has given us a few hints in terms of Trader Legion rules, occultist rules, and uh, of course, the ever-favorite It's confirmed they have two wounds. Some of them have three and four, by the way. So, <laughs> pretty neat stuff. Some of them have more than that. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's so. First impressions of the new Chaos Space Marine. Also, keeping in mind that uh, of the new Nephilim uh, construction rules. Um, I'm. I don't have an honest opinion because of the fact that I've never had. I I don't look at Chaos Space Marines because of the fact that. I don't want to go and play the new shiny toy. <laughs> I give you um, 48 hours. Though, <laughs> um, who knows? I might start an Iron Warriors <laughs> army. I don't know. <laughs> but um, no, no. World Eaters all the way. I want my corn bunny ears, darn it. <laughs> so one thing to keep in mind is that World Eaters, while they are indexed to allow them to play with Chaos Space Ring Codex, they themselves are not actually in the Chaos Space Ring Codex. Yeah, and that's why I'm like, okay, if I were to play pure Chaos Space Marines, I would probably end up playing something like Iron Warriors, just because the aesthetic and the way they work. They bring all the big guns, and they don't like moving. <laughs> Believe it or not, the Chaos Space Marine book, everything's going to want to move. Like the, They're not built to be a gun line like Space Marines, even Iron Warriors. I mean, either way, I'm not going to have an honest. I'm not going to have a really strong opinion about them with Nephilim until I actually get to read the book and maybe come up with a listen idea for myself if I ever want to try. Oh, definitely. And uh, granted, uh, Squirrel Brain, but I was just thinking about the Nephilim book. 
one of the changes we didn't talk about with that is the super heavy detachment uh, auxiliary change from refunding 2CP to refunding 3CP. So that so is... So it's free. Yeah. And it's only as long as you share a faction keyword. So the Chaos Knight, like the Dread Knight, that you can give Nurgle to does not actually work because it's not a faction keyword for them. So just remember that when you're putting those lists together. You still have to spend the 3CP if you're bringing a Dreadblade with a not Chaos Knight army. Okay. Hold on, I thought I had to be the same faction. Oh, that's right. Okay. Never mind. Cannot be Chaos, Eldar, right. and Tyrion. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Right. And then the marks are not faction keywords either. So Marks normally are, but the Chaos Knight thing that gives them those keywords is not a faction keyword. Yeah, it's a it's, it's an ability that gives them the keyword that you pay points for. So yeah, so splashing in a red and a knight at this point is still going to cost you three CP. Yeah, they were good for the one month that they existed, and you're probably never going to see them again yeah. because everyone's going to be so hyper fixated on needing CP at the start of the right. game. They'll they'll work their way back in once people understand that it's not necessary. It's funny. They also lost uh, Titan Slayers that got lumped to the uh, was it Bring It Down all the vehicle killers. Yes, and now Bring It Down is just so much easier on to get on Titans. <laughs> like it just is easier because now it's um, twenty plus wounds gives you four instead of three. Mm-hmm. But going back to the Chaos Space Marine, so the one thing that was discussed today on Warhammer community was uh, lo and behold they have. Um, combat doctrines just like uh, Space Marines do. It is a little bit different. Uh, all the rumors that you've heard were indeed true. They all have exploding sixes. So each uh, unmodified six to hit is an additional hit. And it really depends on which turn you are and is which weapons benefit from that from throughout the game. Did they show yeah. the whole rule for that or just the yeah. explosion rule? Um, they did show um in the article today, they showed off the Let the Galaxy Burn, which is what you get plus two to any flame weapon number yep, of shots. The part. And then that it was in there. Yeah. And then the wanton parts. Reading it over the actual chart that is going to be in the book from the article, they actually um, duplicate certain types of weapons through Assault each of the documents. Assault weapons exist from turn two through the end of the game. So assault weapons are what you're going to see in a lot of Space Marine or Chaos Space Marines in particular, if they yeah. aren't forced to take a heavy weapon. Like you, you're probably not going to see any real rapid fire weapons except for maybe like bikes, because they're yeah. all going to be either built for melee or they're going to be built for assault weapons or heavy weapons. And just so that way I remember this, the obliterators I'm assuming were heavy weapons, right? They're currently assault weapons. Okay. In the Eighth Edition Codex. Okay, so at that point, if they change to being assault weapons, which I don't think they will, um, obliterators are very much still stuck on turn one. They might be. We'll have to find out. Yeah, I love. I like the obliterators too much. It's like, no, I want to shoot all the things. Or, you know, I could just be silly and run army chaos cultist. That is a viable option. Kind of. <laughs> well, so all the new... They, they're... Definitely better in Chaos Space Marines than they are in uh, Death Guard or Thousand Sons. 
They also have all the crazy new uh, mutants and torments, whatever they're called, the bigger mutants and all that. I didn't realize those were all mixed mixed into one cultist squad. I thought they were just separate units. So it's kind of like, ooh, what yeah, they're yeah, it's the bigger cultists with the uh, mini chaos spawn. Is the best way to think of it. Yeah, because there's the mutant which has like the tentacle and like a screwed up leg, and then there's the one that is legitimately growing a spawn out of its torso. <laughs> it's also interesting that how uh, those poor cultists. Yeah, and but yeah, good to see all the the legions in there. Looks like uh, creations of bile got folded in as an additional trait or legion legion. Uh, no sign of the fallen, so I guess I'll keep that army on the shelf for a while. <laughs> I do know that the rumor was that the fallen were getting next. Yeah, I believe Cypher is still in the book for some odd reason, but yeah. It's... One would assume that he's in there because he does actually have a model that is also fairly new. Although I like the old one better. <laughs> anyway. But I'd be curious. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a fallen show up in a white dwarf someday soon. So it it already did. That was terrible. It was, <laughs> that was terrible. Oh, don't remind me. God, that was terrible. <laughs> they basically said, Stop playing Fallen. Just stop. <laughs> I will not stop. Now the latest one was more like, please stop playing. We told you before, stop playing them. <laughs> yeah. I will not stop. I'll keep playing. So with the new Chaos Space Ring, it seems like also Soup might be dead at this point. The idea of splashing in uh, a second attachment other than the patrol seems to be foolhardy, or is there enough CP recovery throughout the game to make that work? So I don't think a CP will be the issue. Is that you're going to lose your exploding sixes. Yeah. And your extra two hits on assault weapons. Okay. So yeah, they're still doing they're still doing the motto faction bonuses only. Okay. Yep. Well, our previous co-host would be very upset by that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, uh, back to pictures only, which is always great on a audio potty podcast. But uh, more space dwarves, yay! <laughs> <laughs> yay, leagues of I totally wanted to be a squat. <laughs> I like how they have. You're joking about that. I'm going to make sure all of them have a helmet on them to make it easy to paint. But the way I was reading it, the ones with the helmet aren't actually fleshy. Those are the robot ones. Yeah. All right. Then I'm army robot dwarf. Da. <laughs> and I'm doing the exact opposite. They're all getting converted to have Slayer heads. Because that is like the most 40k thing ever. Is a Slayer. Well, like, looking at some of them, there's one of them that has what looks like the, the equivalent of a big old, like, sniper. They have actual helmets for themselves. And then you go to some of the other ones where they have the chrome dome. Those are the robots. The uh, the sniper rifle looks very very similar to a certain tau weapon. I I don't know if you guys have ever seen what pathfinders use as special weapons because pathfinders are never use the special weapons they use smart away. But it looks very similar to that weapon. You like the ion blaster? Is that the one we're looking at? I was thinking more along the lines of a rail rifle. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, they got some, and it seems like they're going to be still be able to move and shoot without a heavy weapon bonus, a uh, heavy weapon penalty. So, yeah, it's pretty cool looking. So, because they stunt. Yeah. I think the biggest thing, though, is 
don't paint them white. Because every time I see these guys in white, I'm thinking like, oh, they're astronauts. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably the most common color you'll see on them is black. Yeah. Or you'll see guys that really have a thing for dwarves and they'll be painted um, like chainmail or something <laughs> like that. I mean, to be honest, looking at them and going, okay, I appreciate their simplicity because all of them can have what look like power axes. Um, they got the EV holes, man. The EV holes. Yeah. Um, I'm honestly a little biased. I'd probably paint them orange. I can see that. I've seen a couple of painted up like Buzz Lightyear. I could see that happening too. So I don't know. I'm trying to look at it because I remember that piece of artwork we saw last week. It was all dark blues that go with a little like a OSL glow going all over the place. I was like, oh, that looks awesome. So then I see these today with the white armor. I'm like, Ugh. all right. But it was just the paint. Yeah, I saw art with a guy standing with a red armor. It looked pretty nice, but that's probably me. The most common is what you'll see is red because everyone loves red. Because red makes them go faster. It, <laughs> that too. And painting red will be easier than ever. Because yes, with the latest announcement, kind of out of left field, um, new paints have been added to the paint line. Yes, yes, they have. And I don't know if you actually saw it today as well, Eric, but on top of the new contrast paints that they're doing, they're adding in more shades. I did see that. So I was very surprised because uh, Ray and I were betting whether the shades would be discontinued in favor of contrast, but it seems like they keep, they're keeping those as well. Well, looking at just the shades, um, there's one. Um, bah, 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 bah. It's either the Soul Blight Gray or the Targor Rage Shade, which... Yes, it's a it's official. I have started collecting a World Eaters army to play in the Heresy. I'm a traitor. Leave me alone. Um, Who was really betrayed, though? I was because I'm angry and I have nails in my head. I was because you're. All I'm saying is the. All <laughs> <laughs> saying is if Biggie was actually a father, none of that would have happened. But needless to say, um, just looking at the Targor Rage Shade and the Soul Blight Gray. They can actually give you some really nice, um, either dirty or cleaner white coats because of the fact that the Soul Bite Gray is very much a white shader. I didn't pick up on that. It's pretty cool. Whereas the Targor is definitely more of a like a reddish brown right. one, but it's not as dark as like Agrax or as red as Karenberg or whatever. Carlsberg, I think it's called. Yeah, that's. I'm just. I'm very tempted with the new contrast. There's a new black, and one of the problems with the contrast, anything on the darker end, basically anything darker than a red, on your scale, you always had diluted like fifty percent. Otherwise, it just obliterated your model. It's way too pigmenty, and I'm curious if this new black's easier to handle. Uh, or are we back to having to dilute everything so heavily? You know, almost like one to one, you know, fifty percent dilution to make it work. Yeah. So, are you saying that with the new Chaos Space Marine Codex, yes. when you get your Abaddon yes. and you're looking at your Abaddon black paint, you're going to put a different type of black on there instead of Abaddon black? <laughs> I'll cover him in black Templar because he's killed them all. <laughs> now, see. If I were to paint up Abaddon, I would do it just to piss off an Eldar player. I'd use Eldar Emerald on his nice. armor and make him from Alpha Legion. 
Uh, uh, one technique I saw for painting black actually would be at a primer black, and then you uh, do zenithal highlighting and hit it with the uh, tarragon turquoise. That had a pretty cool effect on it. So mm -hmm. nice. The the one color out of the contrast paints that bothers me the most is actually the pilar glacier because that's just like, dude. That's not a color. That's just liquid. There's like no blue left in there. Yeah, I saw that one too. And there's, there's like, I think a green one too for the ghosts. If you're like a gone player for Age of Sigmar, I'm like, what the? All right. <laughs> That's another one, by the way. That hex flame green that came out. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. The, I actually really like that one. It's a technical paint more than a contrast one. So it's meant to be used equivalent to like Blood for the Blood God and whatnot. Yeah, I didn't know that. Everywhere. <laughs> Everyone, one thing I know about Blood for the Blood God with World Ears players that I talk to a lot is that it's used everywhere. I, I, I mean, it's like, oh, hey, what colors are you going to paint them? Oops, all blood. <laughs> I think most of the time I've seen Blood for the Blood God used more so for um, like paint splatters on axes yeah. and um, boots and like the rams on the front of Vindicators, things like that. Yeah, I've seen it very sparingly, or just or like a, I actually seen it more. On, what's the one with the Nurgle one, the green slimy one? I forgot that's another one I've seen quite a bit of. Oh, Nurgle's yeah. rot. Yeah, I used that one on Clarence. Nah. my big old my big old tyrant. That's how I got all the slimy bits. Nice. But I, I think we can kind of hop off the paint train because we can talk about hobby whenever we want. But I think we have to go visit Newcastle. We do. So this is a, one of the big events over the weekend. We're going to focus on this one because, well, four of the top five ITC players were in attendance and for the first time uh, actually fought each other head-to-head. -head. So, Robert, what do we have going on at this particular event? Well, it was a resounding populace of 126 players. And it looks like after five or, yeah, five rounds... They did the cut to top four. And to give you an idea of how close someone was, there was a Tau player in fifth place, um, Brian Sape, who has four perfect 100 scores and a single loss of 68 in round two that kept him from getting into top four. Like, this was a bloodbath of a tournament. <laughs> Tight competition. So the top four people are Vic Vijay, with Osiriani, Kyle Grundy with Tau Empire, Man Myth the Legend, Manny Chima with Osiriani, and then Ennis Wilson with Tyranids. And Ennis Wilson was the one who ended up taking it, and he played, I believe, yep, he played against Manny Chima in round seven to take the W. What was Manny taking these days? Well, if I'm going to guess, I'm guessing it's Halo Doom. <laughs> It is, in fact, Hail of Doom with Master Roll Shots. Who'd have thunk? <laughs> Talk about list ADD, man. That guy's got a different list every week. <laughs> yep. Um, so I, I think the, the Hail of Doom list kind of changes around a little bit because I think it's like the number of Warlocks that gets changed around sometimes because he has two um, Warlock Skyrunners, two Farseer Skyrunners, some Rangers, 10, 20 Dire Avengers in this first attachment. Uh, nine, uh, da, 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 17 Swooping Hawks. Okay. 
and two wave serpents, and then an extra outrider attachment of Baharoth, a normal Farseer, seven more Dire Avengers, five Howling Banshees, uh, two Vipers, and then five, ten, fifteen Wind Riders, all with the Shuriken catapults. If uh, if any of you guys are curious why to the last is gone, that list. <laughs> Just, it, like literally, it's Bahroth and the two squads of Swooping Hawks being two of the last targets that are just impossible to interact with. That list made it such a problem that they got rid of the last. Yeah, um, Bahroth is actually the same exact cost as his both of his Wave Serpents, so he could technically mark his Wave Serpents if you wanted. No, no, he's, he's going to put on the guys that you can't shoot. Oh yeah, no, obviously it'd be Bahroth. I'm just saying, if anyone else was playing this list and went, "Hmm, my two of the last targets are what?" <laughs> And not realizing that you can pick Baharoth. So, but no, it's, I never had a chance. I have not played against Hail of Doom yet. I imagine it's a nightmare because it's a gigantic bucket of dice and it would eat my custodes alive because, okay, you and me on fives or threes occasionally, but you throw enough dice for it to not matter. Well, it's the auto wound on sixes to hit. That's the issue. Yeah, that too. <laughs> that is Hail of Doom. <laughs> But uh, yep, yeah. <clears throat> pardon me. But Ennis, um, rolling up and just going, nah, bugs are better than elves. He's not wrong. Well, he brought Leviathan, so he has a neurothrope, the flying. Nope, that is a normal hive tyrant. That boy walks. Um, six Tyrion warriors, six pyrovores, three zone thropes. Five Tyrant Guard, uh, the Parasite of Mortrex, two Harpies, both of them with heavy Venom Cannons. One of them has a synapse, uh, the Synapse Upgrade, and then a single Biovore, and a Tyrannocyte. Oh, man, that's a funny story from Atlantic <laughs> City. Um, and then he has another patrol of a Winged Hive Tyrant. That's where he went, Mr. Reaper of a Plitter Tracks. The three Venom Thropes and another Pyrovore, and one unit of Gargoyles. So, um, one of the other things that's interesting about that, the reason why the other Hive Tyrant walks is because it's inside of the Tyrannocyte. Yeah, it totally makes sense, because I actually had my Tyranid opponent in round three of Atlantic City Open. He had he didn't have Harpies, because he also brought along um, a Maliceptor and a whole bunch of Carnifexes to fill in the difference. But he brought a Tyrannocyte that dropped off three units of one pyrovore and my turn three after Trajan had walked through two carnifexes and a ravener swarm got eaten by a tyrannocyte <laughs> so many bullets that's what 15 strength 5 ap2 one damage oh no he got eaten in melee don <laughs> well you should have made your uh, four pinball save and uh, five of him well, I tried, <laughs> but I failed them both. <laughs> Highlighted the event. Trajan gets eaten by a Tyrannocyte. <laughs> but yes, no, I, I do like the pivot, though, from not relying on the Harpies for being the only kind of mobile thing to exist. Because generally, the most Tyranid lists that I've seen in the wild where it's like, okay, here's your two Harpies and your Flying Hive Tyrant that are the super mobile parts of your list that can kill things and are just kind of oppressive. The Tyrannocyte kind of makes you go, wait a minute, that thing's a big bug? Oh yeah, it's a big bug and it has five death spitters. 
Yeah. I actually really like that he has a Biovore in there, because I like the movement shenanigans it can do by just going, here's a spore mine. You can't move through this area with especially large models. Yeah, because the spore mine pops and just goes, ah, I sneezed all over you, take X amount of mortal wounds. Well, not necessarily that, because most people just don't care about that part, but it's the, you can't move within an inch of it, because it's still an enemy model. Yeah. So you just use it to block a walking lane, if the models don't fly. And they do fly, then you just do what you do with like Mortarian, and you go, how far does your back move? You can't get over this point, so you shove back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my game against Tyranids this afternoon, before the podcast, that's essentially what um, my opponent Tyler did with um, a unit of either Ripper Swarms or... I hit Rippers. Well, well Rippers yeah, or... the once per game relic from his uh, Parasite. Yeah. To just pop out um, D3 plus one Rippers. Oh, yeah, he was Pregnant. But no, he he um he kept my my bikes from charging into his hive tyrant by just simply move blocking me with I think warriors or with pyrovores or something, and I was like, okay, you know, I see what you did there because it was either I charge the warriors and hopefully murk them, or I try to kill a maliceptor. <laughs> that didn't go as planned. Yep. But still, congrats to Innis though. Um, we have a whole bunch of the ITC top 10 people in this population here. So, yeah, you were probably swimming with a whole bunch of sharks over there in England. Yep. Over here stateside, the other large tournament of the weekend was the Maryland Open in Westminster, Maryland. It's about an hour west of Baltimore. Uh, Brad Chester went a perfect 6-0 and to claim that one. Notable names. Uh, Ken Knox came in fifth. Sushal Edelkraut came in sixth. Andrew Guanyu in ninth, and uh, Anthony Birdsong in 12th. So, uh, also Matt Laura in 15th place. So, a couple of notable names. Oh, not the, oh TJ Langan, sorry, I forgot that. 19th place. So, uh, large grouping there. Nice to see some names that we haven't seen in a while finally getting out into the playing field and getting some points. So, maybe we'll see a second half Spurs where. Um, Nephilim, some players who may have just sat out all of Dachmund will be showing up for Nephilim. We'll see how that all breaks down. Mm-hmm. Don, while we've got you here, we've brought this up a couple times in previous episodes. Should we have uh, separate ITC seasons for each of the mission packs moving forward? I would like to, but unfortunately, well, I don't know, actually, because if a conspiracy theorist, I was, and bet, a betting man I was. I would say, you know what sounds awfully convenient is that ACO just happened. <laughs> and LVO just happens right at the, uh, the other mm-hmm. side of that. So if I was a betting man, I would say that each of those is set up to be a end of the season thing. So maybe. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing was was the, the cost and the how would you give out your mid-season awards. But yeah, you've got two FLG events right there. One on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. You can make one, you can make the other. Now, if I was also a more reasonable man, I would say that they're not going to because then the only people at all that can ever really truly receive awards are the ones that basically just go around to all these different places regardless of how well that they actually do. Because there's less time to go out and get your six scores or whatever. Which, you know, most of the time that's 
an event a month to get to your six scores. If, if it was a six-month season. And that's actually really hard for a lot of people to True. achieve. So, like, you, you don't even have to win all your events to, you know, get, like, a faction um, award. Because people just can't go out to that many. It is. It's funny to see there's so many events now. And um, so it's you have more access, but just getting the time and able to go. And um, and being successful, especially with the how quickly the meta keeps changing with new releases. Um, yeah, it'd be. I think the you keep bring up a point. Getting six events is a lot harder than it looks. Yep, and I, I mean, like I said, it sounds like they they build it so that it's possible. I would not be surprised if at the end of this IDC season, when they put send out their IDC questionnaire if they put that question on there for people because they do have two events set up for end of season stuff. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the extreme honest podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right. This is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're, great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament and just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out they're sturdy the boxes help protect your models and if you when you order they come fast the order is right and for a better price than the other guy so go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Extermination Podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, while we're speculating, we're in the final week here. So today, as we're recording this, there are, uh, it's the 20th, so Juneteenth, for those of you celebrating that. Uh, so roughly 10 days left in the Nahmoon season. And your current ITC top 10 looks something like this. 10th place, Mike Porter. 11th, uh, 11th place, good. Going the wrong way. 9th place, Anthony Vanella jumps back into the ITC top 10. Uh, eighth place, Brenton Weiss. And Brenton is a unusual case. We didn't think this would be possible when they made the changes last season. But two of uh, Brenton's top scores are actually RTT victories. So he's one of the few players who's got six events, and not all of them being GT-level uh, appearances. Uh, in seventh place, Matt Robertson. Sixth place, Anthony Birdsong. Fifth place, Thomas Ogden. Fourth place, Innes Wilson with the performance he had over the weekend. Uh, leapfrogs there. The one British guy who was not uh, at the event, uh, not at Newcastle GT, uh, was David Gaylard, and he drops from the top spot down to number three. Manny Chima was not able to pick up enough points to upset Vic Vijay, who is now your leader once again for the ITC Top 10. So there we go there. And we promised this last season on the show, and we finally have enough data we can actually do this. So what we have here is some uh, advanced statistics you're not going to find anywhere else. You're probably asking, well, why am I not going to find anywhere else, Eric? Do you have some, some secret technology or some secret access? Uh, no, you can get this yourself if you have the BCP app. It's um, You just have to be uh, maniacal like me and spend a lot of time with a spreadsheet and doing the searches yourself. Because uh, BCP, we actually did reach out to them and said, hey, can you help us with this? And they said, no, because we protect the player's identities. So uh, what we have here is uh, statistics that we normally talk about with factions for the individual players in the top 10. So let's talk about our leader, for example, Vic Vijay. 
over all the games that count towards his ITC scoring, uh, and we discounted all uh, team events, by the way, these are only individual events. He is 40 and six. That's right, 40 wins, six losses. He has a T whip of 38%, which is actually one of the lowest in the top 10. And for those of you unfamiliar with this terminology, he gets thrown around quite a bit. That means uh, one out of three times when he shows up for an event, he's going to be in position to win it on the last day. Uh, the highest, interesting enough, is Mike Porter in 10th place. Every time he showed up for an event, he won it. And interesting enough, uh, Vic Vichay is now sitting at his, on average, his first loss is somewhere between uh, the fourth and fifth round, 4.4. So uh, most of the time he's getting at least to the fourth round before he suffers his first loss. Thomas Ogden actually is sporting the best statistics when it comes to those areas. Not only does he have 80% T-whip uh, going 30-1 and one so far, his average first loss is round seven. Uh, a lot of them have to do with he's been to a lot of events where they have seven, eight, nine rounds. So that helps extending his uh, winning streak and able to push forward uh, through those top ranks. Mm-hmm. Yep. The latest one for Mr. Ogden was actually the Atlantic City Open. Yeah, it was the big winner there. So when you start racking up, especially like nine wins, it just brings that average way up. Yep. And if I remember right, I think he was the feel good story out of ACO where. Mm-hmm. Um, on day three, his first opponent, I think it was his first opponent, um, didn't read the packet, so he showed up half an hour late, and by that time the judges had already basically forced him to concede and awarded Thomas the win. And Thomas, seeing his opponent come in, was like able to take the time off your clock and just play the game normally. And that was extremely sportsmanlike. Uh, great. Like, it just a, a good a feel-good for everyone. Um, and then I believe he still won it, of course, because uh, yeah, his two was seven. Oh, did he win it? Uh, I think he won it. But yeah, just good sportsmanship, and we should all strive to be that kind of person, especially in that situation. Yeah. So to give you an actual clearance there, in round seven, Thomas played against Jared Vale. Um, it was very much a trouncing of one hundred to fourteen. Uh, Jared really didn't get a chance to play because I think he ended up setting up on the line and just hoping to go first. And Thomas went first and it was Tao and he just melted Jared's army. But um, from there, he had a eighth round bump of TG Landigan and then had to go into Anthony Vanilla with nids. So he had quite the bumpy ride on the way up. Well, you got to beat the best to be the best. So uh, nice to see that working out. Uh, other crazy anomalies in the statistics. Um, if you're looking at your top 10 here, David Gaylard, Manny Chima, Thomas Ogden, and Ines Wilson share the lead with having won four tournaments already this year. But interesting enough, Anthony Birdsong, who's uh, 30 and 8, and uh, average first loss doesn't happen to around 4.8, has yet to win a tournament. Uh, but somehow he still finds himself in the top uh, 10 by accumulating a numerous top five and uh, top 10 appearances within the ITC. So interesting statistical anomaly there. And uh, other things I can look at here, Manny Chima, also very high T-whip at 75%, gave Gaylord even higher at 83%. It's Vic Vijay. It's, just, it's either he goes, he, 
he swings for the fences and wins or just falls apart. <laughs> so it's just interesting. Uh, it seems that where he falls in. Ennis coming in at 38 and three. So 38 wins, three losses, and an 85% uh, T whip. And, uh, but he seems to um, continue to motor along. And um, other note from across the pond, Matt Robertson, uh, also 26 and four, but his T whip considerably lower than the rest of the group, 40%, with an average first loss of 4.5 and one tournament win so far this season. So there we go. I honestly think my T whip is like 2.1. <laughs> Mine's perfect, by the way. <laughs> However, the number works because I believe my record is: oh, I win one, and then I lose one, and then I lose one again, and then I win one, and then I lose one, and then I win one again. There is a great article on Goonhammer. It's about three weeks old at this point, but it does explain all these statistics and how they're calculated. Uh, it looks for more of them as now they've taken over the ITC Battles app and adding a couple of these in. But the the simple of it is: is you look at um, you know, the last day, were they in a position where if they win this game, they can win the tournament. Usually if it's a five round event, that means it was really four and zero at that point. Were they in the finals of the final of a cut uh, style event that tells you um, if they were in position to win and you divide that by the number of tournaments they were in, that's all it is, but it's definitely a measure. What's interesting on the ITC app, app is that they look at percentage of the field versus percentage times uh, that particular faction shows up in a position to win. So for example, at the peak of the Tyranid dominance, about 10% of the players were playing Tyranids, but of all the players who were in position to win the tournament, Tyranids made up 20%. That means uh, they were taking almost more than their fair share of the top spots across every tournament. Clear sign that something needed to be fixed from a balanced standpoint. Looking forward to two weeks from now. Yeah. Yeah. And either way, I'm going to be perfectly happy going three and three with my custodes because woo, janitors. <laughs> I will continue to death guard all over your janitors. Yeah, screw your multi melter fault carts. <laughs> Might be a little messy. <laughs> yeah, I got a complete redesign for my army at this point. I'm still sticking with Chukari, but man, I'm just like. At first, I was, I was definitely one of those guys. You remember when, like, when chess clocks came out and people were like, oh, I'm, I'm a fast player. I don't need chess clocks. And you get the clock out. You're like, what do you mean? I got three minutes left. <laughs> uh, my last game was very similar. So, oh, you know, I only start with four command points moving forward. Oh, that'd be that's no problem. I was looking at our last game. Between my opponent and I, we spent 17 command points before turn three. So I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> Something needs to change. <laughs> Way to go, Eric. <laughs> so a lot of fa- fire and fades are going to have to think twice about those a little bit. And um, those, all the other toys that come with the Jakari Codex. I'm like, eh, okay. But that's all we have for this week. So again, uh, look forward during the week. Uh, we have not forgotten about our other great statistical segment. Life in the mid-table obscurity. We'll be having your mid-table up update as we wrap up this season, and we'll compare to see if that changes at all with the uh, Nephilim season upon us. In the meantime, uh, Don, thanks for making an appearance on the show. I haven't heard from you in a long time. Oh, sure thing. Had a 
I had a little free time, and I was like, oh, well, you guys recording. I guess I'll pop on and see if you guys need me for anything. And it's an exciting time. Absolutely. So glad to have you back. Glad to have the whole crew back. We've been either uh, two out of the three of us for quite some time, so it's nice to have the whole crew, the full detachment, the full formation, whatever 40K cliche you can come up with at this point. It's good to have everybody back on for at least for a short time. But unfortunately, our time is up. So uh, my name's Eric. I'm Robert. And I'm the crazy nerdling. And thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast.